0: Stand together if we could for the reading of God's Word, Isaiah 21. And uh, we're getting going about 10, maybe even 15 minutes later than normal this evening. And so uh, we'll move quickly here. But look at verse 1 and we'll read down through verse 3 to begin with. We'll be looking at the whole chapter throughout the evening. The Bible says, The burden of the desert of the sea, as whirl- whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it cometh from the desert from a terrible land. A grievous vision is declared unto me. The treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously. And that's talking about a used car salesman. Amen? No, it's not. The treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously. Speaking of the hand of God, all right? And the spoiler spoileth. Go up, O Elam, besiege, O media. All the sighings thereof have I made to cease. Uh, Therefore are my loins, Isaiah says, filled with pain. Pangs have taken hold upon me. As the pangs of a woman that travaileth, I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. We're looking at 11 different burdens uh, articulated here in this section of Isaiah. 11 different burdens laid out to 11 different people groups. All that either had uh, been difficult toward Israel or had the potential to be difficult toward Israel, and chapter twenty-one opens up uh, talking about the country of Babylon. In fact, if you look down at verse number nine, uh, toward the middle of the verse, there it says, "And he answered and said, Babylon is fallen, um, uh, is fallen." So this first one is circling back to the first burden we looked at back several chapters ago. It's talking back about. Babylon, and then we'll see two other uh, nations where a burden or judgment is laid forth uh, via prophecy through the mouth of Isaiah. Now, the beautiful thing is that uh, when Isaiah gave these burdens, they were prophecy, but now where we are in the scope of time, these prophecies have now come true. And so we get to see God's work in action. We get to see prophecy that not only was given but then turned around and fulfilled. And so tonight we're going to look at these three countries and we're going to consider this topic in our Bible study a harvest of judgment, a harvest of judgment. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the Bible. And Lord, we pray tonight we'd be able to make some strong applications we can take and uh, lay forth in our life and heart. And uh, Lord, leave here challenged the rest of the week to be more like you. Thank you for these that have... Come out on this Wednesday evening, and we pray you'd bless them for it in Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. Now we all here this evening, uh, although I don't know any of the uh, any of us in here that are farmers. All of us understand the concept of uh, sowing and reaping. All of us do. All of us understand that there is a time where the field is prepared, and then seed goes down into that field, and then careful uh, watch care, or rather, watch care goes into that, and Uh, there's pulling up of weeds and pH balance and all that goes into making sure the soil is right and stays right. And then comes the time of harvest where you go out in the field and uh, boy, that vegetation has put forth its fruit and uh, that fruit has come a time to be harvested. And you sow and as a result, you reap. Now, uh, we think of the terms of sowing and reaping in terms of agriculture and boy, uh, there's nothing better than going out in a field of fresh fruit and pulling up that fruit and being able to immediately put it in your mouth. When I was a boy, I worked on a peach farm for a short time. And I remember one day they had us out there pulling peaches in the Alabama uh, springtime. The sun was going down. It was just about time to quit. And there was a peach hanging there off of that peach tree and I reached up and plucked it and I went to stick it in the basket and the peach was over ripe too ripe to put in the basket Uh, too juicy to put in the basket. And we were allowed to eat those. And I remember standing there. I was tired. I was covered in dirt. I was sweaty. It had been a long work day. And I remember taking my teeth and sinking it into that peach and juice just running all over my face and down the front of my shirt. And the satiation, the the satisfaction of getting to enjoy that peach. We think in terms of sowing and reaping, we think of positive terms, but can I tell you that when you sow the flesh, you reap corruption. When when you sow sin, you may not immediately see the results of that, but there is a harvest coming of consequences and what we see here uh, in the Bible is that uh, there was a time of harvest, but not a harvest of fresh peaches, of fresh fruit, not a harvest of blessings, rather a harvest of God's judgment. And turn your Bibles quickly, if you would, over to Genesis chapter number 15. Genesis 15. And look with me at verse number 13. Genesis 15. Here the Lord is speaking to Abraham about the Amorites. And Abraham is navigating his way uh, out of Ur, the Chaldees, and toward his promised land. He comes up upon a group of people known as the Amorites. And God gives a prophecy concerning the Amorites To Abraham. Look at Genesis 15 and look at verse 13. We're going to read down to verse 16. The Bible says, And he, this is the Lord, said unto Abram, uh, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge. And afterwards shall they come out with great Substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation, they, the Israelites, shall come hither again. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. You know what God was saying? There will be a day where you and your descendants will conquer and take over the land of the Amorites. But Abraham, that time's not now. You see, the Amorites that live here, uh, their harvest of judgment has not yet come. Uh, Their sin, their iniquity is not yet full. Uh, People say, well, God is a God of genocide. He just wipes out people groups. And He used the Israelites in the book of Joshua to just wipe people out. Please understand that God gave the Amorites every chance to turn around every chance to repent, every chance to make it right. By the time that the descendants of Abraham would wipe out the Amorites, boy, by that time, the Amorites had had their chance to come back to God and had not done so. Other examples through Scripture can be seen, uh, such as the Ninevites. You remember Jonah going in and preaching to the Ninevites, and they repented and turned around only to be destroyed years later because they fell back Into iniquity. Now we know that in Joshua chapter ten, the five kings of the Amorites made a pact. They came together. You may remember they tried to take on Joshua, and Joshua began to chase them. And Joshua prayed that the sun would stand still in the sky. And lo and behold, the sun stood still. Listen, if you understand anything about science and the earth, uh, earth rotating around the sun, uh, how did God make the sun stand still in the sky for twenty four hours? I, I, from a science standpoint, I can't begin to explain it, but I know we serve a God who is not bound by science. Amen? He can do whatever He wants. He made that sun stand still, and they chased down the five kings of the Amorites into a cave, and the God gave them the victory over the Amorites all at one time. Why? Because their harvest of judgment had come. But how about to the individual? How about to the individual? Um, uh, Turn your Bibles with me over to Matthew chapter 13 and verse number 24. Hold your place here in Isaiah 21. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 21. You also, we we see this trend in countries, that a country who um, is righteous brings about the blessings of God. A country that is wicked and knows not the Lord and uh, despises the Lord, turns their back on the Lord, Boy, that harvest of judgment comes. But the same is true... For the individual, look at Matthew 13. Look at verse number 24. We're going to read down through verse number 30. The Bible says another parable put he forth unto them saying, this is Jesus speaking, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servant of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst not thou sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He saith unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servant uh, said unto him, Wilt thou then that we go and gather them up? But he said, Nay. Lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together into the harvest. And in the time of harvest I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barns. There's going to come a day. There's going to come a day where God separates the wheat from the tares. He takes the tares and he throws them into everlasting darkness in the, in the fire of hell. And that harvest of judgment comes. He takes the wheat, those that have been saved, and he puts them into his barn, or they move on into heaven. There's a harvest of judgment not only coming for a nation. There's a harvest of judgment coming for individuals. Now, uh, we'll make the application more specific to you, the Christian. At the end of the message, but let's jump into Isaiah 21 and let's see a harvest of judgment, the sowing of wickedness that had gone on against God's law. Now they've come to an end. The predicted end uh, uh, of, of Isaiah, the prophet, he predicts the end and the judgment, the harvest of judgment that awaits these three countries. Let's jump in here and notice the first country in Isaiah 21 and notice. Babylon, Babylon, Now point number one, Babylon. Look back with me at verse number one of Isaiah 21. The Bible says, The burden of the desert of the sea, as whirlwinds in the south pass through, so it cometh from the desert from a terrible land. Notice that phrase there, burden of the desert of the sea, desert of the sea. That's like saying dry water, dry water. How do you have a desert in a sea? A desert in a sea. That's what we call a paradoxical phrase. A paradoxical phrase. Another way of saying that would be, that is an oxymoronic phrase, right? Desert in the sea. And so you say, well, who is this talking about? Well, again, verse 9 tells us that this burden or judgment is against Babylon. God is circling back around to Babylon for a second time here. And it's interesting to note that this is not the first time that, uh, Babylon has been referenced as, or rather it won't be the only time in Scripture that Babylon is referenced as a desert and as a sea. Now, uh, Babylon was located in a desert place, but near the Euphrates River. So we have uh, Babylon in a desert near a river. Babylon in a desert near a sea, near water. Uh, uh, Jeremiah, for sake of time, let me just read these to you. Listen intently. Jeremiah 51 13, the Bible says, O thou, speaking of Babylon, O thou that dwellest upon many waters, abundant in treasures, thine end is come, and the measure of thy covetousness. We see here there are people who are abundant in wealth, abundant in riches, but their time is going to come where they're going to be turned into a metaphorical desert. They're wealthy. They have great wealth like a river, but desert uh, the desert and dryness of wealth is coming. How about Revelation chapter 17, where we get to spiritual Babylon and political Babylon in Revelation 17? Listen to these uh, references of desert and sea. Desert and sea. Verse 1 of Revelation 17, the Bible says, And there came one of the seven angels which had the seven vials and talked with me saying uh, unto me, Come up hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many Waters. There's the sea, the desert uh, of the sea, the sea, Babylon, the many waters. Verse 2, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There's the desert. Verse 1 references the many waters, the sea. Uh, verse 3 references, uh, uh, references the wilderness. The Bible says, and I saw a woman, speaking of mystery Babylon, upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. Here we see that uh, Babylon is referenced here as the desert and the sea. The desert and the sea. Now, Christian, uh, let me just make a quick application here to you. Um, uh, Babylon was a desert, was a desert in the region where water was. They were a desert that took up the sea. And I find that many Christians are a desert that drink up rivers, they drink up rivers. They're a desert. They're constantly someone who is in need, taking in that which is life-giving. They're in need, taking in that which is life-giving. And another example, this would be like a Dead Sea, where water flows in but never flows out. Water flows in and never flows out. How many of you here know much about the Dead Sea? Has anyone ever been to the Holy Land and been to that region of the Dead Sea? I don't see anybody saying I'd love to, to, to go there. I've talked. My, my uncle had a job where he was out that way for a while, uh, where when he worked uh, uh, with his job uh, down in Louisiana. They shipped him out that way and he got to go float on the Dead Sea. You've all heard, right, that there's so much salt there that you can just lay in the water whether you're uh, of buoyancy or not, you float. Why? Because it takes him, it never gives out. Many Christians are that way. They're a wilderness. They're constantly taking in, taking in, taking in, being fed, being fed, being fed, but they're never giving out. They're a desert, In a sea, instead of being a sea that gives to desert, a sea that soothes the desert. Really, the application here is, are you a taker or are you a giver? Because everyone is either a taker or a giver. Now, all of us do both, but you ought to be more of a giver than you are a taker. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here out of uh, the first uh, ten verses or so of uh, chapter 21. Notice letter A. We move quickly. Notice the nation's destruction. The nation's destruction. Uh, if you would, look back at verse 1, but also quickly turn over to Daniel chapter 5 and stick your finger over there. Daniel chapter 5. We're going to look at a few of the verses there in Daniel chapter 5 here in just a moment. Uh, let me read for you verses 1 and 2 again. Notice here the Bible says, The burden of the desert of the sea, speaking of Babylon, as whirlwinds in the south pass through. So it cometh from the desert from a terrible land, a grievous Vision is declared unto me. The treacherous dealer dealeth treacherously, and the spoiler spoileth. Go up, O Elam. And Elam is another reference to Persia. Uh, Besiege, O Media. All the sighings thereof have I made to cease. God is ordering the Medes and the Persians to conquer Babylon. By the way, that's exactly what would happen. The Medes and the Persians historically would conquer Babylon. Interestingly enough, uh, Isaiah is giving this prophecy. Watch this now. 200 years before the Medes and the Persians would conquer Babylon. Never let that cease to amaze you. Again, I've said this before as we've gone through Isaiah, but imagine we had a prophet in today's time who predicted something to take place 200 years later in American history, and lo and behold, 200 years later, to that date, it were to happen. You'd say, wow, that's amazing. That kind of thing happened all the time with Old Testament prophets. Uh, turn over to Daniel chapter 5 with me, uh, if you would quickly, Daniel chapter 5, and we see exactly the story of how the Medes and the Persians took over Babylon just as Daniel prophesied. Daniel prophesied it would happen, and so you may know the story, but Belshazzar is the son of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, and Belshazzar is the weaker son who is Oriented, and he's a drunk, and he's not a very good leader like his father was. And uh, Belshazzar takes over the kingdom, and he decides he's going to throw a drunken party. And so, in his drunken state, he orders to have the uh, the, uh, the, the the silverware and the plates and the and the golden the golden vessels. Brought uh, from the t- the temple that had been destroyed some years prior, and he has them brought out so they can drink and eat on them, and that was a big no-no, especially with God. Those those were sacred vessels, not to be touched. Look with me at uh, verse number five and six. The Bible says, in the same hour, came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the. Placer of the wall of the king's palace, and the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosened. Look here, and his knees smote one against another. You ever been so nervous that your knees knocked? You ever been uh, so in trouble that your knees knocked? How many of you know the feeling of when your boss calls you into the office? We're into a Zoom meeting. It's just you and him. I guess now it's not in the office anymore, right? Uh, it's uh, getting called in virtually. And you think, um, oh, boy, I'm about to get it. How many remember when you are a little kid and you are uh, cheating in school? You all never cheated in school, did you? Never. Yeah, Tim probably cheated all the time over here, right? Uh, yep, yep. And uh, cheating in school, and you get caught, right? And the teacher catches you red handed and calls you out, calls you out by name in front of the whole class right your heart drops now maybe not those scenarios i mean you know what i talk about when you get called out in public and your heart drops how many of you know what I'm talking about, alright? That's exactly what happened here. The hand of God appeared in this room where Belshazzar was having this drunken party with the vessels from the temple of the Lord and a hand out of heaven appeared and began to write something on the wall and I'm sure Belshazzar thought, am I, is this really happening or am I drunk? And boy, he was in trouble with God. His knees began to knock and so uh, they began to ask for an interpretation of the writing as the writing didn't make sense and so they brought in all the astrologers and the chaldeans and the soothsayers and nobody could figure out what it said and all of a sudden somebody remembered i believe it was belshazzar's wife remembered hey there's this daniel guy and he's pretty good at this thing let's get him turn over to verse number 17 Verse number 17, turn over there with me. Look at there, the Bible says, Then Daniel answered, they bring Daniel in, and then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another, yet will I read the writing unto the king, and make known to him the interpretation. Skip down to 25, here's the interpretation. And this is the writing that was written, Meeni meeni tekel you farsin. This is the interpretation of thing, meeni. God hath numbered "...Thy kingdom and finished it." "...Thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting." "...Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians." Just like Isaiah predicted. Just like Isaiah predicted 200 years prior, uh, your kingdom is going to be given to the Medes and Persians. Verse 29, "...Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet and put a chain of gold about his neck and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom in that night." Was Belshazzar the king of, of the Chaldeans slain, and Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two years old, or 62 years old. Just as Isaiah had predicted, the great Babylon had fallen. Now, uh, to put in context Babylon falling, I don't know that I can adequately do it. We think of the U.S. of A. back in her glory days. Uh, I hate to say back in her glory days, I don't think America is as great as it was at the turn of the 1900s and the 1950s, and I believe on the world scale we've slipped a little bit. But uh, we're still a great country, still the greatest country in the world in my opinion, but not uh, American exceptionalism like we used to have. But I think of America at its peak, at its height, and um, uh, American exceptionalism at its peak was nowhere near what Babylon had. See, Babylon ruled the world, the known world, the civilized world. And uh, you go back and look at the statue there, I believe in Daniel uh, chapter 4, somewhere in there in, in Daniel. And what you find is that if this statue made of the various elements, the head of that statue was gold. That was the greatest kingdom that maybe this world has ever seen. And here it all comes crumbling down at once. Here it all comes crumbling down. Why? Because when God decides that he's done with a nation. He's done with the nation. The nation of Babylon had committed its share of wickedness, and God had decided that its harvest of judgment had come. Why? Because God's timing is perfect. There's a phrase in the Bible I really like. It's this right here. In due time. In due time. Do you know that the timing of God is perfect? The timing of God is perfect. You may think, well, God, where are you? And God, why won't you come through when I want you to come through? Do you understand that Jesus Christ died in due time? Romans chapter 5, verse 7 tells us. He died in due time. What's that mean? That means at the just the right time, Jesus died on Calvary. Not too early. Not too late. Jesus died right on Calvary time. Do you know that for you to question the timing of God in your life, you might as well be questioning the timing of God with Calvary. God, God makes no mistakes. He makes no mistakes. Now, our timing is never His timing. How many of you have ever thought, boy, God, it should be nice if He'd come through by now. How many of you here have ever had somebody do you wrong and you thought they were getting away with it? You know what I'm talking about? You think, Are you just going to let that slide, God? We serve the omniscient God with a perfect memory. And God rewards honor in due time, and He pours out vengeance in due time, and we must learn to trust His timing. The harvest of judgment would come for Babylon. Yes, they would become a great nation. Yes, they would be vile in the sight of God, and God would punish them in due time. The harvest of judgment would come and did come, through the Medes and the Persians. Letter A, we see the nation's destruction. Quickly, letter B, let's notice the prophet's displeasure. The prophet's displeasure. Go back to Isaiah 21. Look with me at verse number 3. And i get a great application here for us. Look at verse 3. The Bible says, Therefore, uh, Isaiah speaks, are my loins filled with pain. pangs have taken hold upon me as the pangs of a woman that travaileth. I was bowed down at the hearing of it. I was dismayed at the seeing of it. My heart panted. Fearfulness affrighted me. The night of my pleasure hath he turned into fear unto me. Now I want you to take your Bibles over to Proverbs chapter 24 with me. Proverbs 24 and verse 17. And while you're turning there, I just want to say this. Babylon would not be Israel's friend. You may remember the story of how the Israelites would be carried away into captivity by the Babylonians. And the Babylonians would try to force them to sing... The Psalm of Deliverance from when I believe Psalm one eighteen. The Psalm of Deliverance from when they had been delivered out of Egypt, and now the Babylonians are mocking them, trying to make them sing the same song. They had burned and pillaged the cities of Jerusalem. They had destroyed Solomon's temple. They had uh, uh, ravaged and 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 murdered and. Killed and probably raped and all of the evil. And they had held the Israelites into captivity for 70 years. Isaiah had a good idea of all of this that would come. He predicted it. He talked about it. But then, when he knows of the destruction that's coming to Babylon, watch this now, instead of rejoicing, he weeps. Instead of rejoicing, he mourns. Now, I don't know about you, but when my enemies are punished by God. You know what I'm tempted to think? Well, it's about time. Well, God, why couldn't you let them have it just a little bit more? Well, after what they did to me, boy, I sure hope they suffer. But that's not what Isaiah said. Isaiah said, My heart is broken when I learn of the destruction of the enemy of Israel. Look at Proverbs 24, 17. The Bible says this, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, Let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. It's natural to be happy when someone who has wronged you gets wronged. Isn't it? Thank you God for pouring it on thick. What Isaiah said, when I learned of the destruction awaiting Babylon, I was in more pain than a woman who is in pain giving birth. It hurt me to know what God was going to do to that country. I am uh, thankful that God's timing is perfect, but boy, it ought to bring great hurt to my spirit to know that one of my enemies would be punished by God. That's the maturity in Christ that the Lord ought to give us. Never, ever, ever, ever be happy when God serves vengeance on the head of one of your enemies. Never. Never rejoice over that. Boy, you ought to be broken hearted that they would have to suffer in such a way. If you are, listen to this, this is a very important thing I'm about to say. If you are at a place where you are begging destruction to come on an enemy of yours, someone who's hurt you, and you are praying that they hurt, you are praying that they're in pain, you are excited at the prospect of God punishing them, that's a sign that you've not forgiven that person. It's a sign you've not let it go. I'm all for justice, and I'm all for God punishing wrongdoing. But boy, your heart ought to be, Lord, punish them enough for them to change. Punish them enough to get right. Not punish them so that they hurt like I hurt. Here the prophet knew of the pain awaiting Israel. He knew of the evils of Babylon. He knew of the fall of Babylon, and the prospect of their fall broke his heart. Letter A, the nation's destruction. her B, the prophet's displeasure. Quickly, Let her C, we see the Watchman's Declaration. Look at verse 5. And uh, verse 5 down through verse 10 actually reads as though you have a watchman in a tower looking over Babylon as they're destroyed. Now, look at verse 5. The Bible says, Prepare the table, watch in the watchtower, eat, drink, arise, ye princes, and anoint the shield. For thus hath the Lord said unto me, Go... Set a watchman; let him declare what he seeth. So here you have a watchman in a watchtower looking over Babylon prophetically, and and seeing the destruction, the fall. Of Babylon, verse seven, and he the watchman, saw a chariot with a couple of horsemen, a couple of asses, and a couple of camels, and he hearkened diligently with much heed, and he cried, "A lion, my lord, I stand continually upon the watchtower in the daytime, and I am set in my ward whole nights, and behold, here cometh a couple of chariot men of a couple of horsemen, and he answered and said, "Babylon is fallen it 's fallen, and all the graven images of her gods he hath broken upon the ground, O oh, my threshing." In the corner of my floor, uh, that which I have heard of the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have I declared unto you. How did Babylon fall? Well, we know the Medes and the Persians took the canals of the Euphrates River and cut them off. And so the water flow that would flow through the canals under the walls into the great city of Babylon, the waters would be stopped, the canals would come dry and would give a natural uh, avenue for soldiers, chariots to come in under the walls and conquer the great city of Babylon. And the watchman says he sees chariots of men coming in and taking the graven images and smashing them. We talked about, when we looked at Babylon several weeks ago, we talked about how Babylon declares uh, uh, the mightiness of man and the idolatry of man. Jerusalem declares the mightiness of God and the worship of God. Babylon stands in stark contrast to Mount Zion. Babylon stands in stark contrast to the city of Jerusalem. And Babylon was always a place of great idolatry, going all the way back to the Tower of Babel and the building of that tower. The look at what man can do and look. What but we can edify with our own hands and idolatry being that which is uh, constructed with hands the graven images and the Bible tells us the watchman sees them going in and taking the idols and smashing them on the threshing floor of the wheat and that's exactly what the Medes and the Persians would do Jeremiah chapter fifty one verses thirty one through thirty three reads one post shall run to meet another, and one messenger shall read another to show the king of Babylon that his city is taken at one end, and that the passages are stopped, and the reeds they have burned with fire, and the men of war are affrighted, for thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, the daughter of Babylon, is like a threshing floor. It is time to thresh her yet a little while, and the time of harvest shall come. the time Of harvest shall come. What harvest? The harvest of God's judgment. Yes, you can sin for a while and seem to evade and avoid the hand of God's judgment, but don't forget, God is omniscient. He knows all. He has a perfect memory. He never forgets. In due time, in the time of harvest, what you have reaped, you will sow. The hand of judgment will come. We see here, Uh, the burden of Babylon, let's look at number two, the burden of Edom. Edom. Let's look at Edom. Look with me at verse number 11 and 12. This is really fascinating here, and we move quickly. We've got about uh, uh, seven or eight minutes left. We move quickly through points two and three. Uh, Look with me at verse number uh, 11 here. The Bible says, The burden of Duma, he calleth me out of Seir, watchman, what of the night, watchman, what of the night? The watchman said, The morning cometh, and also the night, if ye will inquire, inquire ye, return, come. Now you say, Well, where do you see Edom in verses 11 and 12? Well, uh, uh, Isaiah does something interesting here with a play on words. And first of all, Seir, you, you notice in verse 11, it says, He calleth me out of Seir. Well, in uh, G- Genesis 32, 3, the Bible says, And Jacob sent messengers. Before him to Esau, his brother, under the land of Seir, the city of Edom. And so this is uh, this is clearly talking about Edom. Let me show you a couple of ways this is talking about uh, uh, Edom or the Edomites. Okay, in the Hebrew language, Duma is Edom without with the E removed. uh, Duma, again, uh, you don't uh, don't see this in English, but if you look at this in the Hebrew language, the word for Duma and the word for Edom uh, is the same word with the letter E removed off of Edom. And when you take the letter, well, we'll get to that in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Let me quickly give you an A and a B here, okay? Letter A, let me give you the word, uh, let me give you here their choice, their choice. Look back with me at verse number 12, okay? The Bible says, The watchman said, The morning cometh, and also the night if ye will inquire, inquire ye, return. To come. The Edomites are saying to Isaiah, as though he is the prophetic watchman, tell us what is in our future, right? How many of you have ever been part of the service where the preacher's preaching and he asks a question on your behalf, right? He asks a question on your behalf. You know what I'm talking about? Where the pastor says, uh, some of you may ask, fill in the blank. And then the pastor says, well, I'm glad you asked. All right? This is sort of what Isaiah is doing here for Edom. He's asking a question to himself on their behalf. And he's saying on their behalf, hey, watchman, tell us what's coming. And Isaiah says, well, I'm the watchman. Let me tell you what's coming. There's both night and day. Night and day. Whether you get the day or the night is your choice. Again, look back at verse twelve, look back at verse twelve. The Bible says, "The watchman sayIt the morning cometh and also the night. You see the duality of choice there. If ye will inquire, inquire ye, return, come Now the Edomites had a heritage back into, um, back into Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, right. These were the children of Isaac. Uh, Edom or Esau was the child, uh, uh, one of the twin boys of Isaac. And he chose to rebel. He chose to go to the Mount Seir. He chose to make himself separate from, um, uh, from uh, Jacob there. And he chose to rebel and marry multiple wives and raise a family of, of idolaters. And here you have a man who's living a wicked life. And now God has given them the choice. You can return Would they make that choice? No, they would not. Letter B, we see their consequences. Their consequences. Letter uh, below that, notice a judgment of silence. Now, here's where it gets interesting. Verse number 11. Look back at verse number 11. The Bible says, the burden of Duma. Now, I told you that Duma and Edom in the Hebrew is only one letter different. All right? Uh, Duma has the letter E removed from off the word. Now, what happens when you take the letter E off of Edom in the Hebrew language. You end up with the word that means silent or dumb. Silent or dumb. You know what he's saying to them here? He's calling them, instead of calling them Edom, he's calling them dumb or silent. He's saying to them, because you will not choose what's right, God is going to take your voice from you, and your land will be filled with silence. What is the judgment that awaits you? Utter destruction. All you'll be able to hear in your kingdom is the wind howling. There will be no noise. Hey, E Dum. Hey, Duma. Hey, the day's coming because you don't choose God. The harvest of judgment is coming. There will be a judgment of, of silence. Notice also a judgment of storms. The word seer. The word seer in the Hebrew has two different meanings. It can mean rough or hairy. We know that Esau was both rough and hairy. And so, yes, there's, there's a play on words here by the prophet. He's talking about them being silent, but he's also talking about their coming, uh, there being an impending storm of, uh, of war that will wipe them out. And so the word uh, uh, seer also means storms, storm. There is a storm coming that will wipe you out. Edom is asking the prophet here, watchmen, what of the night? Watchmen, what of the night? The prophet replies simply, The outcome is up to you. Will you choose to do right or not? History tells us the Edomites would be totally destroyed in the year 70 A.D. Notice quickly, we've looked at we've looked at uh, the the burden of Babylon, the burden of Edom. Quickly, number three, and lastly, notice the burden of Arabia. We're not going to spend any time on this one. Let me just give you the blanks here. Notice letter A. There are people scattered. Look at verse number 13 and 14. The Bible says, The burden upon Arabia in the forest in Arabia shall ye lodge, O ye traveling companies of Dedanim. The inhabitants of the land of Timah brought water to him that was thirsty, that, pre- uh, that uh, prevented with their bread him that, notice the word, fled, him that fled. What happened here? Uh, Armies came in. We know from history, the Assyrians came in down on the uh, Arabians. And as a result, many of them didn't stick around. They were nomads in nature. They fled. They fled and they hid in the bushes. They fled everywhere they could. And uh, people who were sympathetic to them had to bring them bread and water in the bushes as they hid because God's uh, harvest of judgment had come upon them. Let her be Notice their land surrounded. Look at verse 15. We'll read down in the end of the chapter. For they fled from the swords and uh, from the drawn sword and from the bent bow and from the grievousness of war. For thus hath the Lord said unto me within a year according to all the years of and the glory of Keter shall fail, and the residue of the number of archers, the mighty men of children of Keter shall be diminished for the Lord God of Israel hath spoken. And what happened here? the town of Arabia or the, the country of Arabia rather, had been surrounded by the Assyrians and had fallen under attack. Now in closing, let me give you three points to ponder. okay? Write these down somewhere if you could. We'll go quickly here. First of all, notice our choices are rewarded or punished. In due time. Our choices are rewarded or punished in due time. Our choices are rewarded or punished in due time. God is not necessarily going to reward you right away from the choices you make. Nor is he going to necessarily punish you right away from the choices that you make. Galatians 6, 7-9 through 9 is a common passage. Listen to it. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Verse 8 and 9, go on say, For he that soweth to the flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption, but he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting, and let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season, season we shall reap if we faint not. Boy, I could spend a long time uh, talking and articulating and explaining that. But the honest truth is you plant seeds, the harvest comes when He decides the harvest comes, whether for good or bad. Notice the second point I'd like you to ponder in closing. God is the avenger of wrongdoing against us. God is the avenger of wrongdoing against us. Romans twelve nineteen says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Hey, some of you in here tonight, this may be what you need to hear. Someone has done you wrong and there is a spirit of bitterness within you. There is an unforgiving spirit within you. You're angry. You're, you're embittered. You're upset over a wrong someone did against you years ago or maybe even yesterday. And I would just remind you, you are not their judge, God is. What is forgiveness? Forgiveness is simply releasing my right to punish and turning that over to the Lord. Saying, God, uh, you are the writer of wrongs. You will right my wrongs and you will take care of it in your due time. I don't need to worry about it. I don't need to hold a grudge. I don't need to be bitter. I don't need to let this thing sour my spirit. I don't need to uh, uh, find ways. You know the phrase, I don't get mad, I get... Say it with me. I don't get mad, I get... Even, right? And uh, that's the wrong attitude of a Christian to be cold and calculated and vengeful. No, we turn that over to the Lord and trust that He will bring about the harvest of judgment when He's ready. By the way, by the way, quickly, I know we're out of time. Quickly, if you want God to show you grace when you do wrong, then you better be okay with God showing other people grace when they do you wrong. I know you don't like to hear that. But boy, I, I sure do want God to show me grace. Then I better be okay with God showing other people grace. And the last thought I want to give you tonight is this Judgment Day is coming for all of us. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God and give an account of your life? The harvest of judgment is coming. God will either reward you or He will punish you. Are you living a life that will bring about reward? Not punishment. So that's the Bible study tonight. I hope it encouraged you. I hope you understand Isaiah 21 a little bit better, and I hope you are anticipating and living your life day by day with this idea of a harvest of judgment that awaits. I don't want to be like Babylon, Edom, or Arabia. I want to be uh, uh, I want to be a child of God, receiving reward in due time. Let's stand together and be dismissed with the word of prayer. Thank you all for being here tonight. You're an easy crowd to preach to, especially when you're sitting up close. Amen. Enjoy that.